The Quest community, welcome to this special series that we're doing with the leaders of the RIA aggregator and integrators. So these are the firms in the registered investment advisory industry that are doing what is now 91% of the deals, which are mainly these, uh, these private equity funded, larger RIAs that are looking to buy up and are buying up and doing many, many deals in the space. Uh, other RIA firms, whether they're independent or sometimes from IBD platforms or even you know doing some deals with wirehouse advisors. So we are fortunate enough to have some of the, the leading firms in the industry doing these deals. And we have them on in this special series so that people who are interested in right advising the industry who are potentially interested in selling their firms can understand the different models out there. Because one of the benefits of the evolution and the maturation of the RA space has been that there are more aggregators and integrators, there's more funding for these, there's more private equity. But as that happens, there also is more confusion as to all these different options out there. What are the different models? Why is one better than the other? Or what is the best fit for me? So the purpose of this series is to give the opportunity Reach of these amazing firms to talk about their different models, talk about who they're looking to target, who they attract, you know, and 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 have you be in a better position as a potential seller to understand your options. And for those of you who are not in the RA space, it's also a fascinating, you know, I would listen anyway. It's a fascinating look at how the industry is involved and how an industry matures, and frankly, what the different acquisition models are that could be applied even in other industries. So check out all the videos in this special series on the RIA Aggregator and Integrators. Do you want your business to grow faster? Are you open to new and out-of-the-box ways to drive revenues and increase value? How do you imagine the most successful entrepreneurs and business leaders double, triple, or expand their businesses tenfold or more? The answer is deals. This is a weekly podcast featuring conversations with business owners, executives, and leaders as we reveal behind-the-scenes details that give you, our listeners, the confidence to pursue your own deal-driven growth. On the show, we discuss a huge variety of deals, everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My name is Corey Kupfer, and I've been supporting deal-driven growth for businesses for 35 years as a successful entrepreneur, professional negotiator, and attorney. My goal is to help you strategize, plan for, find, and complete deals that will help your company grow faster. Welcome to the DealQuest podcast. Let's get started. So DealQuest community, we've come to the end of our RIA aggregator and integrator special series that we did as part of the DealQuest podcast. And, you know, we had nine of the top aggregators and integrators, uh, firms that are doing a lot of the deals in the RIA space. You know, there's certainly some others out there that we didn't have in the series. And that, that's nothing to say about them. It's just whether, you know, coordination in terms of getting them on or they, you know, we didn't hear back from them, things like that. But I think we got a very good representative uh, sample of at least half of the major players out there that are in this space. And in this final episode, I just want to do a little bit of a recap and, and talk about why this series is important to more, you know, or interesting to listen to if you haven't listened to it yet for more people than you'd expect. So the most obvious group that this would be valuable to are potential sellers of RA firms in the industry, or whether they're looking to sell in full or take in, because you know, a couple of them we'll talk about it, do also do minority investments. And so certainly somebody who's interested in selling or just is really interested in understanding the landscape to potentially sell in the future, obvious you know, candidate to listen to this series and, and then watch the video version if that's what they prefer. The others are actually in the RA space as well, 
potential buyers, right? So people who, you know, firms that are looking to create a buying program to do more acquisitions, maybe they can't totally compete with the bigger players that are PE funded uh, in the way they play the game, but it actually shows the different models out there. And, you know, you can adapt that. It's one of the things we do for clients is help them become buyers and find ways to 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 get, you know, deals and appeal to uh, potential sellers uh, and to differentiate themselves from others out there, including the big PE back aggregators. And then finally is the third group is maybe a less obvious uh, group, but it's really people not in the RA space who are just interested in deals, especially on the M&A side. And, and why is that interesting? Because the RA space is such an interesting space. It's a maturing space. Uh, it hasn't been around long. PE money is new to this space. Steel volume has you know, gone up significantly in recent years. And there are so many models out there that are evolving. And I think that one of the great things about um, studying uh, different industries is you get ideas for your industry, right? And you know, there's a certain amount of these things, whether it's in terms of the, the deal structure, the philosophy, the approach that I think would inform any potential deal maker on the buy side or the sell side, really in any industry. And it's interesting to have you know nine of the major players, right? You know, the CEOs, the key executives at these firms that have done so many deals to hear their perspective and their viewpoint and their outlook and how they promote it and how they talk about that model and how they differentiate themselves and their evolution, right? Because a lot of them talked about not only where they are now, but maybe where they started and how the model might have evolved and their thinking might have evolved. And that's really useful for anybody who's potentially doing deals. So my recommendation is uh, whether you're in the RA space as a buyer or a seller or a potential seller, or you're in another space and just interested in M&A, it's really worth listening to through that lens of, hey, what are the different models out there? How does the thinking evolve? What are the you know mistakes that some people have made? What's working in this industry that could be maybe applied to others if you're not in the and the, and the wealth management RA space. So definitely go back and listen to the episodes. You know, some of the things that are interesting about for me, you know, I'm somebody who obviously we play in this space all the time. We do a significant amount of deal work in, in the RA space. We do a lot of breakaway broker work and you know, setting up new RA firms for transitioning financial advisors. We help them set up the structures to the equity and capital structures to set them up moving forward just generally, but also to prepare them to do deals in the future because part of the model they may be building is to have, for example, an equity class for firms that they acquire or advisors they bring in. And because of the teams are more and more sophisticated coming out on the startup side, on the breakaway side, we find ourselves more and more structuring for that growth from day one. And then of course, we help them do the deals that, that, that help them grow. And we also do these whiteboarding sessions uh, and we have had several clients that have really, you know, done very, very well in their acquisition model after we've done these whiteboarding sessions with them to help them figure out, hey, what is their unique positioning? How, what model do they want to create? How do they want to present themselves? And we go through this 10-step process, you know, with them, which if you haven't checked it out yet on the website, cupforlaw.com. We've had for a while there are ten. Well, we have two ten-step series videos. One is on on breakaway brokers and you know and the ten steps to know if you want to break away from a bank or wire house or insurance company and go with the bad. But the other one more relevant to this is a ten video series on M and A, right? And we have a ten-step process that really starts with why if you want to be a cover, especially a buyer in the space. So you may want to check that out, but but also go back and check out this series, which is also on the website, but or on the DealQuest podcast on any of the podcast players. So 
you know, one of the things that that's interesting to me is, like I said, I, you know, we know this space really well. So, you know, I knew these models pretty well. I've already, already advised clients on, you know, when they're considering various of these models and what's the benefit and detriment of it. But there's something special about hearing from the leaders and their own voice. And they were all very open and generous and uh, happy to discuss uh, their models. And, and most of them being clear, they I, I think all of them believe this, but specifically, you know, discussing that their model's not for everybody. And, uh, and actually, that's one of the things that I've talked about. Uh, and I talk about that 10 and the 10 tip series is that that's exactly what you want. You want to have a clear model that is not for everybody. Because if you're for everybody, you're for nobody. And in the competitive market, you, you know, you've got to be able to distinguish yourself. So you actually want people to understand your model, understand your approach, understand who you're trying to attract, who your avatar is, your target person, what your unique value proposition is out to them, and be able to opt in or opt out because the opt out actually saves you a lot of time, right? There are so many potential deals you're going to look at anyway, even with potentially qualifying candidates as a buyer before you choose the ones that are really going to work for you. So if you're spending a lot of time with non-qualified folks because they don't understand your model or they're not sure what they want, it's you know not useful on the buyer side and it wastes time on the seller side as well. So for me, it was helpful to dig in even further, hear it directly from the CEOs and, and major executives as, you know, as we had them on. It's good to reconnect with those some folks who I knew. We had, you know, I mean, a lot of them, you know, from uh, Matt Cooper to Bob Moros to uh, Marty Bicknell to uh, Claire O'Keefe, Sid Gregor, David Canner. I mean, I, I knew, but then there were a couple. Uh, I mean, Jeff Decko is a guy from WEG who I, I knew a little bit because we had just, we had done a deal recently where a client, did, you know, we represented a client who did, did a deal with WEG, but I, but I didn't know Jeff that well. So it was great, you know, it was great to have him on as well. And, and you know, a couple of the other folks, uh, you know, who I didn't know as well, you know, Pat, Pat McLean, for example, from Walworth and sort of get to know them a little more and, and listen. So, so definitely check it out. You know, uh, some of the things that in terms of model that if you're doing M&A deals on the side, you know, what I start thinking about is you'll, you see in the series that there are folks that, you know, we, we drew this distinction and we knew it was artificial, but then it was sort of a range and people have different aspects of it. And some of them didn't even like this phrasing. But we did sort of draw the spectrum of aggregator versus integrator, or how much was was able to stay separate, how much was integrated. And models fell all along the way. I mean, Wally Bicknell, for example, talked about the fact that in, in the earlier days, they did deals where there was less of an integration, right? Even in brand and things like that. And then at some point, they moved to the One Mariner model or program and, and really decided that they wanted everybody in the Mariner brand. And you know, and, and having a more integrated approach in their model so that, you know, that evolved for them. You know, there are other firms like Summit Financial, who spoke to Stan Gregor, you know, a Sanctuary Wealth, where they, you know, had less of an integrated model, right? Or sort of, you know, you, you can come and go with your clients maybe in some of those models, some way you can just have, you know, a, a contractor or, or employment model, although a firm like uh, Summit also has a program where they actually uh, take an equity piece and and do do buy as well, and, and now they've started to do even some full acquisitions. You know, there are some models out there that we haven't talked about that are even less of an, less integrated, right? You know, folks, financials one where you know the, the firms stay as uh, the separate entities with their own ADVs, although they are owned by Focus, and that you have a management agreement, and that's a company that's you know been on the news and obviously you know was public and that was me taking private. We hear. So, you know, there are the different models out there. It's interesting to me, for example, how Claire O'Keefe describes charity partners, you know, kept talking about a partnership model. 
They didn't even look at it like like it's a deal or an acquisition or an aggregate or an integrator. You know, they, they have a hundred year plan of a, of a true professional partnership. That's a sp- specific philosophy. It's, 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 that's different. You know, there's a reason why if you listen to Claire's episode, she was very clear on the languaging that she used because that's part of how Serity Partners presents itself. And I don't mean just as a marketing thing. That's their fundamental DNA, their, you know, their philosophy, right? You know, we had Matt Cooper on where Beacon Point, for example, has been doing um, mainly acquisitions of independent RA firms and, and hadn't been doing breakaways from, from warehouses. Whereas, for example, Sanctuary was more, much more focused on breakaway warehouse teams because that's where Jim Dixon, who at the time was CEO of Sanctuary, he's since left, but at the time we recorded was CEO, you know, that, that was his background, right? Now, I can quite as starting to move into the warehouse breakaway side as well because they see opportunities there. But, you know, again, their, their traditional model has been buying up other firms. So you see, we're seeing them starting to evolve. What's fascinating to me, and then, you know, you've got you got folks like uh, David Canner at Blue Spring who moved over, who after so many years, you know, fidelity on the custody side, and now is running, running Blue Spring. They've got, you know, good financing behind them, and they're, you know, they're doing a number of deals. So, you know, it's interesting, Bob, uh, Bob Warros, Hightower, that's another great one. I mean, Hightower's models evolved over time. I remember when they had the partner, the, you know, the affiliate model, and those were models where it was either, you know, an employment model, that, you know, where people come and go. There was an equity model, you know, under, under one of those. And then over time, especially when this is before Bob was involved, especially when they raised the private equity, they started buying up internally, like buying up a lot of their affiliated firms. And we did some deals of those firms representing them who were selling out, you know, to, to Hightower. And now Hightower's moved to this model where they want to, you know, own these assets. And it's, you know, it's an interesting decision, right? I mean, there's an argument and we talked about this on various of the episodes that there's more enterprise value, right? What if you were integrated and you really own everything? Obviously, in theory, if, if assets, if, if advisors who control client relationships, assets of the management, therefore revenue, therefore leading to EBITDA, you know, can come and go, then that maybe is less valuable. But other firms have used that flexibility to be more attractive to advisors who maybe don't want to get locked in, right? And don't want to fully sell their book. Whether it's you know a model where they can come and go, or a model where there's only a minority uh, purchase of, of equity, and even maybe in some of those models, there's an ability to get out of that deal and 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 buy back your equity if necessary. Let's take a break from the show for a minute, so I can invite you to a new way to determine your deal readiness. I created a fast and easy assessment that will determine exactly how deal ready you are. Once you complete the assessment, I use your responses to identify the obstacles that are holding you back from being a deal-driven growth genius. It's as easy as heading to coreykupfer.com slash assessment. That's coreykupfer.com slash assessment and filling out a few multiple choice questions. I'll be checking in after the episode to see what your results are. Now back to the show. So it's just a great microcosm of various ways to do deals, right? And listen, over time, you know, we, we have certainly some history at this point. We're not going back decades of this history. I mean, not that a couple of firms haven't been around that long, but in terms of the active M&A space, especially the PE-funded high-growth M&A space, we don't have decades in this industry. You know, what we have had some evolution over the last, you know, five, seven, even 10 years, but, you know, a lot in the last five, right? So uh, it'll be interesting to see how it continues to evolve and whether there'll be, you know, there was some discussion of, Aggregation of the aggregators or consolidation of the consolidators. 
And the very interesting thing about this industry is that whereas you hear about all of this quote-unquote consolidation, there are more and more advisors coming into the independent space so that the industry itself, when you look at it, is not consolidated, right? There aren't fewer RA firms out there than there were previously. In fact, there are more. And that's not because there's not some consolidation happening you know, with these aggregators and other deals going on, but it's because there's an outflow continuing, you know, strong outflow of the other models from the banks and the the warehouses and the insurance companies and the IBDs to full independence. So sort of the pipeline of, of, of new firms coming in has still exceeded the rate of consolidation in the industry, even though that's grown significantly. You know, we talked with these with these folks about just the market conditions and the fact that I think you know every single one of them have agreed with something that many have said, including me, that we're very early on. Maybe we're in the third inning, right? Of a nine inning game here or less, you know, with the RA space. And there's so much such a good space, quality people, great cash flow, good clients, excellent service generally, that there's value here. And as money has come into the space, the medium to long term trends are certainly still in favor of, you know, of significant growth. There's a lot of maturation that can still happen in the industry, a lot of consolidation, a lot of growth, a lot of different models, a lot of building. But we talked about some of the short-term headwinds, maybe, right? The market's been up and down. Uh, the um, interest rates have gone up. There's various other economic factors that may adversely affect deal flow. And in fact, since we've done a lot in this series, I mean, every all pretty much all of the buyers we talked about still said they have plenty of deal flow and they're very optimistic. But they all did acknowledge that deal structures are changing. Certainly more money on the back end, you know, and, and a little less up front. You know, the upfront money had gone up significantly over the last few years. I remember a time when we used to say it was 25, 30% up front. Now deals went up to 50, 60, 70, sometimes 80, you know, plus percent up front. You know, that's coming back, right? Because of conditions, valuations have eased off a little bit, although in many cases, they're structured with an earnout piece. So if the work comes back up, maybe the valuations can go higher. So, you know, some of the, you know, a lot of the folks did talk about how they see the market and conditions and talked about those changes in deal structures and how they thought the effect of the, uh, you know, maybe some of the temporary headwinds would be. They all expressed confidence in their models and continue to be able to do deals. That's not surprising. You would think they would say that either way, but I think it's been shown that they're still doing deals, although the percentage of deals by the, the I think at one point, I, I think it was, I it was third or fourth quarter of last year. I remember Dode, the Boe reported that it was over 90%, 92% or something like that of the deals were being done by the big integrators and aggregators, the PE fund that far was in. I've seen recent statistics, it may be down around, you know, half or less, maybe a little more somewhere in that space now. So, you know, th- things have evolved and changed. So, like I said, I mean, if you have a list of the series, it's definitely worth doing it. I think all the folks that we interviewed are impressive folks. Some of them have built these firms from the beginning. Uh, you know, guys like Marty Bicknell. Some of them have come in later, like David Cantor, Blue Spring, Pat McClain's another guy who was, you know, was one of the final, original founders of Allworth, uh, along with the, a partner. So we had a variety in terms of where people were, whether they were founders, whether they came in uh, more recently and, and, and evolved the model. I mentioned Bob Boris and Hightower. Bob was another guy like uh, David Cantor out of the custody side for many years, you know, came over to Hightower. So, you know, a variety of backgrounds, a variety of philosophies, a variety of experience, but all really, really, really impressive folks who were doing very interesting things at quality firms. And they are all good options. Not They're not all good options for every single advisor or every single seller, right? 
because you got to find the right fit, but they are quality firms that have clear value propositions that are successful at attracting the right types of advisors. And some may appeal more to exiting advisors. Some may appeal more to younger advisors who have a lot more runway. Some may, you know, definitely appeal to folks who either lean towards wanting to maintain more of their independence or being willing to roll into a, a more integrated model. And it's just a, a variety of options out there. And listen, I've been doing stuff in this industry for almost 25 years. And when you see the evolution and how many more options there are and how you know few deals they used to get done and how little financing there was available. It wasn't even lending financing. Forget private equity, equity financing of any type. You know, and now there's such a comparative abundance, so there's so much more room, you know, for more. And more and more players keep coming in and the industry is getting more and more sophisticated. So it's an exciting industry, you know, to watch again, even if you're not in it. And just to sort of get to know these folks, even if you're sort of a little bit of a deal junkie or want to understand business growth and M&A, it's fun just to actually listen and understand these models so you can even track them, right? Over the next, what are they going to do over the next few years, five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20? Are they growing as, as their philosophy and approach and model work out? How are they dealing with the competitive landscape? What's going to happen with them themselves? Are they, are they ever going to aggregate or consolidate with anybody else? So... This was a fun series for me to do. I really appreciate every single one of the of the nine high-level executive CEOs and others who came on. They really provided value. Listen, obviously they have an opportunity to they were supposed to promote themselves, but they have plenty of deal flow, you know, as it is. It's not like they need to be on my podcast to get it, although since, since the podcast has grown and, and done really well, they did get some good exposure from it. But more so, I you know, I think for me. It's a great service to the industry to provide more and more clarity as to their particular option, what's out there, and what may be best for advisors. So definitely check it out. And obviously, listen, if we can we can help you drill into it, we do this all the time anyway, which is why I wanted to do this series is we help clients figure out maybe what's what's the best fit for them, you know, whether they're thinking about it generally or, you know, in coordination with our investment banker clients. We work with a lot of investment bankers in this space. And then also, like I said, we work with firms to help them become acquirers as well and learn from these models and find out how they can distinguish themselves and compete, despite the fact that maybe they don't have the kind of funding, private equity capital and other things that that, that the big boys and girls do. And that's fun for us as well, because we've been successful in helping people do that. So folks, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close up this SoloCast, this final episode, the SoloCast in this aggregator, RA aggregator and integrator special series we did on the deal quest podcast uh, you can listen to it again all the podcast players are on you know all the other episodes are on on the website as well comfortlaw.com website so appreciate you listening definitely check it out and again appreciate all of the great founders from the ra farms who agreed to be guests on the show take care thank you for joining me on this episode of deal quest where we help you understand how deal-driven growth can be your ticket to freedom I want to invite you to a unique way to tap into the wisdom and experience of the DealQuest community. Join the DealQuest Deal Den Zoom calls, a free monthly 90-minute mastermind. In the mastermind, we address all the challenges you may be facing and help support you with the opportunities that may arise in terms of deal-driven growth. You will get input not only from me, but all the members on the call will collaborate and serve each other in a mastermind format. To sign up for the free mastermind, Go to www.coreycupfer.com slash dealden. 
That's CoreyKupfer.com slash DealDen. I'll see you there. I'm Corey Kupfer. Until next week, wishing you the freedom and financial prosperity that I know your deal quest will bring.